I want us to remember this. I talked about this last week. I touched on it as you know we began last week with our daily bread. The first part of the Lord's Prayer of the sermon, it was to align God as um, to line us with God. That was the whole part. Then we begin to pray this next part of the prayer. And we are aligning ourselves with God uh, when we say, Our Father. We are entering into the family and uh, saying, Let me do your work, God. Let me work with you. Now, when we ask for the kingdom to come, we are asking for heaven now to invade earth. We need heaven to invade earth, right, in so many areas of our lives. Again, I touched on this last week, but I want to remind us as we enter into this section. Because we're asking Christ to work in us and through us with this prayer. That's the whole point. Now, today again, we're asking personally for us. Last week we asked for bread. This week we're asking for something different. And so we go from those, again, that lofty heights, the high heavens, and now Jesus, he brings us down to earth. He takes us from, again, these grand spiritual concerns. Is it going to work? Maybe. Here we go. I don't know. Ethan, you're on. You're on PowerPoint duty. My clicker isn't working. Sad. Oh, wait. Maybe it is. Well, we'll see. I know Ethan is like, he's like, I'm never doing this again. And so, no, I'm just kidding. But he takes us from these grand spiritual concerns about God's name, his kingdom, and his will to our everyday physical, oh, there we go. I felt it. I felt it do it. So, (laughs) to our everyday physical and spiritual concerns. So our needs for ongoing food, forgiveness, and protection from evil. And so today we're looking at verse 12 where it says, and forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. This is a deep one. Today, we are, we're in forgiveness mode. It may be the hardest thing, it's maybe the hardest thing to admit, uh, to ask for, to receive, or even to give, is forgiveness. Now, I would say this could be maybe the least practice discipline in faith. And I'll, you know, I'll start at, at with asking you questions. When was the last time you came to God and laid your shortcomings at his feet. And not a vague, Lord, forgive me of my mistakes, but actually reciting things that you're like, Lord, I'm sorry for this. Now, again, asking for this, extending this is hard. And there's stories, I remember as a kid, you know, and learning forgiveness, you know, having to go to my brother and being like, Brandon, listen, I'm sorry I tried to glue all your shirts to the wall. And so, (laughs) Shannon, I'm sorry I lit all your Barbie's hair on fire. And so, like, these are things that as a kid, it was like, it was hard to do. And it doesn't get easier as you continue to get older. But we long to seek forgiveness. The things we've done, they wear on us. And like, I heard this one story of a woman on her deathbed, and she finally admits uh, that she, she's had an affair, and then on top of that, an abortion. Um, and it's like she's coming to the end of her life, and she just couldn't take it to death, and she had to leave it here before she passed on. And she weeps, and she asks to be pardoned. Uh, she needs to have that forgiveness. Now, this part is our reminder that we are not perfect. This is a reminder of humility and our need for Jesus. So let's look at this as we've done all series. What does this mean for Jesus to say this and for us to hear it? That's how we've begun all the series so far. Each and every section we've gone through, we start with that. So what does this mean for Jesus? Now, think about this. When Jesus... 
gave this sermon, it was still a somewhat open question to this crowd of how this petition would be answered. Right? The people hearing this, especially those who are Israelites, they had maybe you know, heard the story of the great exodus and their family had gone through it and then they know that they went back into exile because they didn't follow the God. So they were longing for the Lord to come to forgive them, to help them, to save them. And so when Jesus says, forgive us our debts, they're thinking, like, will he? Like, will the Father forgive? And like, how? And like, on what basis? And like, will, will that Father actually forgive me? How is this going to look? They're running this question through their mind as they're hearing this. There is a story that is often talked about in Scripture, and many of us have heard it. We're going to talk about it just a touch here. Uh, maybe if you haven't heard it, but we're, it's the story of the prodigal son. Now, we're going to read the text a little bit. And so we're very aware of some points of this text, but we also want to dig a little bit deeper into what this means. And so here is the story. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off on a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields uh, to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods and the pigs were, that the pigs were actually eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, in this story of the prodigal son, so much is discussed about the prodigal son. And we pray for people, right, to come back to Jesus, just like the son did, to come back to the father, come back, you know, into that right relationship. And, you know, the son, he does, he returns, he comes back. And the father, you know, puts everything aside and he, he accepts him back in. But you know, the son, he's willing to do whatever. He's like, I need to go back. I need to see my father. I will do whatever. I will be his servant. But as he comes back, his father throws a party. He feasts with his son, which is, again, a sign of the kingdom. If we've, you know, if we, as we've gone through this last week, this is the sign of the kingdom as we come and we see Jesus eat with people. Now, this is also a story I mentioned last week of Israel turning its back against God. But this story, right, it seems to focus on the son all the time. All the time it's on the son. But as Jesus is telling this story, he mentions this man who is running. And it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Now, this mention of the man running was designed to have the same effect on the audience here in this story. As it would be if I was speaking up here, you know, in my bathing suit. It would be a total loss of dignity on my part. And so, you know, not flattering at all. And so, at this time, for those hearing it, fathers don't run. And we see a lot of fathers running now. You know, I, but in this time, it was a sign that you were indignant, that you were late, that you had forgot something. There's a lack of dignity if to see this man running, this father running. 
And when we discover why this man is running, the effect is even more shocking. In this setting, right, the son has essentially put a curse on his father. He's, he, has, he's disgraced the family, the son. Something is wrong within this family if the son wants to leave. That's what everybody is thinking. In that culture, to leave the family was to put it, shame on it, put shame to it. I don't want to be in my family. I don't want to be part of my family's business. And so this man is running to greet the person who did this. Not to punch him, not to yell at him, but to celebrate that actually he has returned to him. So this is, right, the parable of the prodigal son, but it is also the parable of the running father. When we understand why he's running, we'll understand why he said for us to pray this prayer. This story wasn't just meant for our culture, but as Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, it spoke, again, to the people hearing it. We know Jesus was announcing his kingdom, God's rule, it's here, I've come. God was liberating Israel from its slavery. They were looking for oppression and exile to end. That's what they desired and longed for. Israel was longing for another exodus moment when they were freed from oppression and exile. If they were set free, if they were liberated, it quite simply meant to them their sins were forgiven. It's like we were set free, if we're liberated, if we are no longer in exile, that means our sins have been forgiven. All is well. The Lord is happy with us. And this idea comes out clearly in the gospel when John the Baptist begins a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. He was getting people ready for the real return from exile. John baptizing in the Jordan was to reenact the exodus. And baptizing Jesus in the Jordan showed that this is how Israel was redeeming his people. Just as he led them through last time. He was getting the people ready for the arrival of their God. And so Jesus told a story in which that arrival looked like a man running down the road to meet his son. Running after that son who had brought the shame, who had brought the exile, who had brought the pain, who had disgraced the family. So Jesus took his point of origin from John and he made these two radical departures. First, he took the message away from the Jordan and into the streets. We see Jesus in streets, in villages, all throughout, pronouncing the kingdom is here. Second, he told people that what John had spoken of as coming has now arrived. Forgiveness had come. The great liberation, it is now here. It has arrived for you. So the picture of forgiveness of sins was a father running to the one who had caused the pain. Caused the pain. The son came back with a debt. The father said, do not worry about the debt. It is clear. The debt was paid for with the true exodus when Jesus was crucified. In light of the resurrection, we see that the cross was the true act of liberation, the true act of forgiveness, the moment when the pain and sin of the world were heaped actually into one place. So the answer that develops in the unfolding story of redemption in Christ, it's so glorious and beautiful. 
And Paul describes it beautifully in Colossians 2, 13 to 15. He says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having given us all our trespass, forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Beautiful. The, glor the glorious answer to the question of this prayer, forgive us of our debts, is an emphatic, unrestrained yes. It is a picture of a running father to each and every one of you. The Father will forgive you. He will forgive all who are in Christ. The Father gave his Son so that his Son will become our record of debts, nailed to the cross, paid the penalty for us. The Son willingly offered himself in our place. He was willing to be God forsaken, that we can be God forgiven. On him was laid the penalty for us all. In all the glory of his mercy, the Father received his offering willingly. He said it was his joy to do this for us. Picture again a running father. Jesus showed us that we can ask God for whatever we need, but he also stressed the need for confession. Confession is an important part of our growth because it helps us clear out sin so that it doesn't keep growing and spreading within us, and it loses its power when it's exposed. So scripture tells us to confess our sins first to God and then to others where we need to because we strip sin of that power when we do it this way. That is why we pray, forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sins against us. Now this goes back to saying, our Father. If we are committing to following our Father, if we're committed to saying that beginning part of the prayer, we're committing to being part of that family, we are committing to being obedient to the way he models us to live. So the idea is we owe God our complete obedience. When we fail to give our complete obedience, we become debtors. Now, this isn't the parent tax. Does anybody know what the parent tax is? If you have taken your kids out trick-or-treating and um, they come back with a lot of candy, there's the parent tax. Uh, we take like half of it, at least I do. And so, um, no, this isn't, this, this isn't the parent tax, not taking it away. Not taking forgiveness away. But if you haven't followed through on this commitment, you're a bit in default. The beauty of this relationship, though, is it didn't take away, you know, at a house or a car. If you fall short of the agreement, like we have in our agreements today, he says, come to me for forgiveness that is already yours through Jesus. This part of the prayer can be humbling coming to Jesus, asking him to forgive when we have fallen short, where our mistakes have been made that day. Maybe where jealousy has crept in. Maybe when we were angry. Maybe when we were lying. Maybe when we were deceitful and dishonest. And we are saying, Lord, forgive me for these actions. I was not good today. There is pain in my heart for some reason. But the beauty is, when we do this, we're free. Those burdens are taken off us. And I can remember this one vivid moment with our kids. And there was a moment with Malachi, and he was, you could just tell, just something was just burning on him, just burning on him. Kim and I are in our living room sitting, and Malachi comes in, and you could just tell he just like, does not look 
like himself. And she's like, oh, and he's pacing back and forth. And he was looking in drawers and he looks at us and he looks down and he goes back and then he leaves and he comes back again and he's constantly does this. And then all of a sudden he's like, I have to tell you something. And then he just open and honest with us. And then we worked through it and you could see it just felt like a million bucks after. It's liberating. We, seeking forgiveness that is free through Christ, it's so liberating for us. We are living the new exodus when we do that. We make a mistake, we confess it, and that is it. Our debt is constantly being wiped out. And think of it like this. Sometimes we feel like when we come to Jesus for forgiveness, we constantly feel like the prodigal son, right? We constantly feel like that. Like, I gotta come to him again. I gotta ask for forgiveness again. Here I am running back to him again. We're wrestling with guilt and shame every time we are to come to the Lord because we feel like we are coming to our Father again with our mistakes and, and you know what? his running then will turn to sternness and actually turn his back on us is what we feel sometimes because we constantly, oh, I messed up again. But now imagine this. We need to remember every time we run to the Father, obviously he's running to us, but it's actually like we're running into the kingdom because we have to remember there was a banquet that took place. So we come to the Father's presence as beloved children, ready to feast at his table. He celebrates our return. Now, when you come to eat at our house, we do one thing before we sit down and eat. We dance. No, just kidding. <laughs> Kids, wash your hands. Kids, wash your hands. Before the meal, it is right that we wash our hands. We confess and we receive forgiveness within the larger framework of the Father's welcome to the banquet. Having been met with our Father's heartfelt greeting, He runs to greet us. Having expressed our love for Him and our trust in Him, we say, listen, Jesus, now, there are one or two difficult things we need to sort out. And He gently replies, yes, there are, aren't there? Let's get them out on the table. Let's wash our hands. And let's move forward. We wrestle with guilt. We can do three things with that guilt that we wrestle with when we feel like we've fallen short. We can, it's either maybe we can imagine it, we can deny it, or we can simply just live with it. Each of these can cause problems, spiritual, psychological, and even depression, anger, this part of the prayer, though, that the Lord is he's telling us to say, clears our eyes to see which bits are maybe imaginary, that we're dreaming up. Right? Have you ever been in your mind before? You're like, I can't believe I did that. Have you ever sent a long text after a conversation? This part of the prayer helps us to deal with bits are real. So we stop denying and we ask for forgiveness. Okay, that's real. Lord, forgive me. This part of the prayer helps us stop living with it, though. Confessing it frankly and honestly with him and letting Christ deal with what we are experiencing and heal us of that pain that we're living in. This statement teaches us not to allow guilt from the things we have done or thought to shame us from God, but to receive his loving forgiveness. In confessing your sins, first, you allow the Holy Spirit to search your life and reveal sin. Next, you agree with God about what is revealed. Third, you ask God to forgive of that sin. Forgive me for this. And fourth, we accept the fact that God has completely forgiven and cleanses you of all that guilt. And you're like, wow, that's so simple. And listen, this is not, like, this is simple, 
We've heard it so many times, but it's the hardest thing to do. Part of the forgiveness process, though, is the next part, which, if that was challenging, this is going to be challenging. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus reminds us of what we are to do, the way to live, and that our forgiveness is through Jesus, who followed after his Father in complete obedience. We know that. We get it. We now ask for forgiveness, and we receive it. But we are to remember what we are meant to do through the example of Christ shown in our family. And now go and do likewise, as he says. If Jesus paid it all, there would be nothing so profane as to accept forgiveness for our sins, but to leave unpardoned the sins of others. That is why Jesus includes this important condition in this prayer. He says, and forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so this is what Jesus is essentially saying. Jesus assumes that if you are asking for divine forgiveness, we or you have already been in the business of forgiving the little debts of even our biggest debtors. John Wesley was once approached by a man who is well known for his unbending nature, unwavering nature. In a particular prideful moment, this man boasted to Wesley, listen, I never forgive. Wesley replied, well, then I hope, sir, that you never sin. That's funny, we think. But of course, there's nothing funny about, forgiving, about the forgiven being unforgiving. I would go as so far to say that this is something Christians maybe don't even do well with other Christians. Jesus went from village to village throughout Galilee, announcing that the kingdom had arrived, that forgiveness was happening. God is transforming his people at last into the salt of the earth, into the light of the world. And when people responded to his call, he gave them instruction on how they are to live as forgiveness of sin people. Having received forgiveness from sin, they were to practice it now. Not doing so would mean that they didn't grasp what was going on. As soon as someone in those groups refused to forgive a fellow member, he or she was saying, in effect, this, I don't really believe the kingdom has arrived. I don't think forgiveness of sins has occurred. You are saying when Jesus went around claiming that the kingdom has arrived, that it actually isn't here. That you don't believe he'd forgiven sins. That is the main part of the kingdom package, that he's forgiven us, that we forgive others. Failure to forgive wasn't just about living up to a moral. The only reason for being kingdom people, for being Jesus people, was forgiveness of sins has happened. That's the only reason we're kingdom people. So if you don't forgive, you were denying the very basis of your existence. Oh, we're like, well, this is deep. Take a deep breath. Let, let this sink in. We are hypocrites if we don't forgive others. We are actually thieves of forgiveness. Paul tells us that if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Listen, there's more 
talk about forgiveness in Scripture. And, you know, sometimes we hold that one verse really tightly. You know, if someone has wronged you, you know, you, you know, separate them from you. And we're like, yeah, that's what we got to do. Or like, you know, they're not changing or whatnot. So we hold on to that really tightly rather than forgiveness. In forgiving others, first, we must admit that someone has offended us. Second, we release them from their debt. Jesus did this. He did this on the cross when he prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Third, we ask God for the grace to seek reconciliation with that person. Jesus practiced this on the cross, forgiving those who put him to death. We know, what we know is that unforgiveness brings death. This is what we know. Unforgiveness brings death. In our unforgiveness of others, we continue to carry on death. I have a family member, a really close family member. He is maybe the most unforgiving, bitter person, holds offenses. And he has this physical ailment it's Crohn's disease, it's in his intestine, in his stomach, and he's constantly in physical pain. I say that to say this, there are doctors now who are practicing forgiveness in their practices. If you come in with an, Ill, like an illness, maybe stomach or back or something like that, some doctors are asking, do you need to forgive somebody? And then they're finding that people are healed of that. Unforgiveness brings death. It brings pain. And on top of that, think about Jesus, what he was doing. He was walking into situations, and he says this, your sins are forgiven, the kingdom is healed, and now the man is healed of paralysis. Unforgiveness holds death in pain. If we accept the kingdom, forgiveness, if we accept the kingdom, forgiveness from Christ who gave it freely, we must give it out freely too. We must be apprentice sons and daughters like our Father. So the prayer contains at this point something unusual, a clause which commits the prayer to action, which backs up the petition that was just offered. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Prayer and life are locked here, intimately together. Listen, this isn't saying that we need to do this in order to earn God's forgiveness. This is not saying that at all. It's a further statement of your loyalty to Jesus and the kingdom. This is your further statement saying, yes, you have forgiven me. I must forgive also. I'm loyal to what you have called me to do. Claiming the, the central blessing of the kingdom only makes sense if you are living the central blessing yourselves. And this is something we often overlook in our confession, is just how community-oriented it is. Jesus indicates in this phrase that confession is inherently related to our attitude towards others. And when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. The primary thing that produces compassion and generosity in me towards others is realizing how gracious and compassionate God has been towards me. The more I approach God as a son who is both deeply loved and deeply forgiven, the more I can approach my brothers and sisters in Christ that way. Or as the Apostle John put it, we love because he first loved us. Now this church, us, we are meant to be a place where the kingdom is shown. And the only reason we're a part of this kingdom is we accept forgiveness from God. The central message of the kingdom is that we are forgiven people. 
and we cease to be the church if we don't forgive. The question asked that we hear sometimes, if sins were forgiven once and for all, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, why is there still sin and evil in the world? And the response is that now we are called to be people through the unique victory of Calvary that we see on Easter is implemented to the whole world. The church, we are the advance guard of the great act of forgiveness of sins that God intends to accomplish through the whole world. We are the picture of the kingdom that is to come again when Jesus comes to reign forever. We are to give out forgiveness that we have received and which shows what the kingdom is all about. God's given us this opportunity to be those people who share that forgiveness so people can see what the kingdom is like, so people can be drawn to it. Jesus, our justice and peace, truth and mercy, listen, it will one day reign in God's world. And the church, we can be defined as the people who pray the Lord's Prayer, is to model and pioneer the way of life, which is actually the only way of life. Because it's the way of forgiveness. This is a prayer to live in peace with your brothers and sisters. This clause in the prayer is so important, it's said, tw it's said twice. So I'm not sure if you've ever had to repeat anything to your kids before. Probably not. Like, I'm probably the only one. Um, but it was said twice here. It goes on in verse 12. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, Father will not forgive you. Now, this isn't saying that you must do works to forgive others, but our understanding of what we received is accomplished by what we do then in return. Listen, Jeremy, this is the hardest thing to do. There's a lot of pain in some stories here. There's a lot of individual pain by people. And I'm sure you're reflecting on that pain even as I talk about this, and it's hard to hear. I don't say it lightly. I don't say it's to demean or minimize everything that you have gone through or experienced through people. I'm sorry, and I know the Father is sorry too. The pain is deep. But that is why no matter where we are, we come to Jesus and we let him do the work of softening our heart. Let him do the work of helping us through forgiveness. Let him do the work of comforting us. Because what we realize is that the running father is there. Just as we have come across the horizon, and we think, I, we're trying to say, how do I go to him? He's running towards us to meet us already. Listen, I know this is hard. Oh, it's so hard. There, one story of a man uh, who killed this lady's son. And obviously terrible, painful, taking a life. So this woman wanted to see this man. And she sees him, and she says, I forgive you for what you've done. Her wall breaks down, his wall breaks down. That's a picture of the kingdom. My dad, I've mentioned this before, he was an alcoholic in his late teens. He put a lady in the hospital. 
uh, via a car accident, driving drunk. My dad waited to buy her side for forgiveness. That's the only reason he was there, forgiveness. She forgives him and then says, listen, come to church. There'll be no charges if you come to church. The forgiveness she gave him was a picture of the kingdom. And it was easy for my dad to receive the forgiveness of Jesus because he had already had a taste of forgiveness. So we want people to receive the kingdom. They need to have a taste of forgiveness. A taste of it. I'm going to invite Luke to come on up. And he's just going to play a bit softly in the background. What an appropriate song that he's going to be playing, Nothing But the Blood. And as we sit here, as we reflect on this, what we are going to do is this. You're going to sit in your space here, and you're going to say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I need some forgiveness for some things in my life. I know I went through this week not perfect. I know I did. But we take this time to come to him, to the running father. We say, Lord, forgive me for this. Set me free from this. I'm so sorry. He's going to come and he's going to comfort us. And just picture it as you're washing your hands before you sit at the table. And then the next hardest thing you're going to do is you're going to ask, Lord, help me to forgive this person. Maybe you're holding on to some pain from somebody who's hurt you. Or you're going to ask him even to search your heart. Lord, do, who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to forgive? Listen, this is a beautiful thing that we do. This is what the Lord is calling us to do. As I mentioned, we cannot be kingdom people. The whole central message of the kingdom was forgiveness. And can't not give it out. We're saying, I don't forgive. So as Luke plays softly and he sings actually softly over us, we're just gonna take moments and Lord, reveal to me this week where maybe my shortcomings were. Forgive me for these things. So you have to name them specifically. Lord, search my heart. Who am I holding? bitterness towards, unforgiveness towards. Who am I upset with still? Even just the mention of their name just turns my stomach a little bit. And we're just going to let the Lord work on us. And then you know what? You'll feel amazing. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you Lord, as the running father, Lord, that even as we peek our head up over the horizon, you're so excited that we are even making our way towards you, that you run to us and you embrace us. Lord, you forget about everything and you say, come to me, and then you take us to the table. There is a party. But Lord, we recognize that you running to us, Lord, it's not about us having to find the way to let the forgiveness go is about you coming to take the forgiveness or to, to give us forgiveness for us. So Lord, we thank you that you are beautifully, wonderfully compassionate. That you care deeply about our souls and the things that we carry. And you know the physical effects it has on us too. So we ask that you search our hearts. 
as we take this moment and we pray. We ask, forgive me of my debts. For, help me forgive these people who have sinned against me.
found that practicing uplifting a weight even off of your shoulder. Ah, Kim just reminded me of a story that of Corey Ten Boom. She was in a concentration camp and um, she was speaking. And as she was speaking, she looked down in the front row and saw one of the men who put her there into the concentration camp. And he reaches out to her and she reaches out to him. He asks for forgiveness. She forgives him right in front of everybody. So when we are asking or forgive, Lord, help me forgive this person, we're not saying what they did was right. We're taking away the pain and the holding them for the pain that they've caused us. So let's stand together and we're going to sing this last song as a body.